<laughs> well, everybody, peace and love, peace and love. It's Ringo here. It's New Year's Eve, any minute now, and then it'll be the New Year. So I just wanted to say uh, I missed everybody on the tours that we couldn't do because of the pandemic. I've made an EP, kept me busy. That's great in here. <laughs> and it's Christmas and New Year. That's all about friendships and friends. So I wish you all Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year or a different New Year. Thank you. Peace and love. Here's to right now, right here. Welcome to this week's Wendell Lewis Fab. I'm Ed Chen. And I'm John Stone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, everybody. Ding dong, ding dong. Ring out the old, ring in the new. <laughs> you, have to, you have to be hoarse to do that. through what we remember from the year this was kind of a relatively quiet beatles year although any year where both paul and ringo try to tour can't be that quiet right and then you have to kind of deal with the length of things i mean get back came at the end of 2021 but it's i feel like its effect has been part of what 2022 was oh for sure i mean as we keep saying, Peter Jackson's film has changed the way we view everything. Yes. Each of the individuals, the band, the way they made music, it's just completely brand spanking new. And that we then apply to everything else we listen to from them. Right. Another thing about Get Back, you wouldn't have thought that Get Back would be a way that anybody could get into the band. Hmm. But I guess it's kind of, you know, you get people who know a little bit about music and a little bit about how bands work, and they may know something about the Beatles, but you sit down and watch them, it's like, oh, they're not this thing that we've been told they are. They're this and they're that. They were also really just four guys. Yeah, I think the personality aspect of that film you almost get what George Martin said, you know, you like them as people, 
that's just a, a great introduction to the music and the people who created it. And also, what 14-year-old boy is not going to come out of there giggling about Ringo farting? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 50 and 60-year-olds are giggling about it, but but when you're in the target demographic, <laughs> Peter Jackson knew what he was doing. We left that bit in. <laughs> yeah. Leave it in, take it out. No, no, they better leave it in. Especially because you have George Martin there just trying to <laughs> keep the proverbial stiff off her lip. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I think McCartney walked across the room, so. Yeah, but I think that may have been after Ringo actually told them that he farted. Well, yeah, <laughs> run. So, all right, uh, as we move into the big event, which is still, for everybody, I think the Giles Martin revolver box set has to be probably the biggest Beatles event of the year. Yeah, I would agree. In part because we didn't know it was coming. Yeah. You know. I mean, in, in part, it was just a great package. Yeah. A year ago, the question is, what is the next box going to be? And we didn't know. And to a certain extent, we're still at that, although we more or less think it's Rubber Soul that's going to be the next box. But it's entirely possible that they could go back and go to the anniversary things again and start with Please Please Me and with the Beatles. Yeah, that would be the 60th. Exactly. So, you know, who knows? We shall see. So, all right. Starting off at the front of the year, we got Madeline Bocaro's book, In Your Mind, The Infinite Universe of Yoko Ono. And we, we had her on. Right. That is certainly worth mentioning. We knew a lot about Yoko, but she knows everything about Ms. Ono Lennon. Right. It's a good book. And if you haven't bought it yet, do so. The thing about that book is the chapters about Yoko's family. I didn't know that her father was an artist before he was a banker. I didn't know the whole business of how they made it through the Second World War. Stories that Yoko has half told us are presented here in full detail. It's a great book in that you really do get to see the arc of her life because for the most part, she was introduced to us Kind of like a, as a shrieking harpy. She broke up the Beatles. She was weird. Nobody liked her. And, you know, that's not Yoko Ono. Certainly to the Beatles world, that is the case. And that's another thing which comes out of Madeline's book is that while certainly not globally known, within the circle of the avant-garde artists, she really was an established figure. And she actually did get some news coverage. There is news footage kind of akin to the bohemian nightmare of John Lennon and Stuart Sutcliffe. That kind of story was going around about Yoko all the way through the late 50s. She certainly was established in a certain world and respected, but it was not part of pop culture. And that's the deal. And you get a real good view because of its depth of exactly who this woman is. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Uh, so that's that. That's that's our January thing. That's what came out. It's absolutely definitely worth seeking out. It's a long read, but it's a good read. Right. If you want to just dip your toes in, she has lots of little excerpts from the book on her website. I think if so. you go to that and read them, you go, I, I need to buy this book. This is really interesting. The other thing that came out in January was Mary McCartney's cookery show. Mary McCartney serves it up and Paul came on on the last episode and <laughs> showed us how to make the Macarita. <laughs> Macarita. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so I take a bit of uh, tequila or tequila, and I use this top as the shot thing. Like I, nice. I'm using like three of these. Nice. Well, you know, it's a celebration. <laughs> and then either. Is that like an orange liqueur? Yeah. Nice. I so that was it. So one of each of these. One of them. What's yeah. this? This is triple sec. Nice. Which is another orange liqueur. So it's got those really lovely fresh floral notes, and then that tequila gives it a kick, but it's quite clean as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. it is, yeah. 
But you don't want to drink too many of these. We drink one of these. We only drink, yeah. One because only. the thing is, because it tastes so good, yeah. it's very Moorish. Yeah. So I'll have another of those and suddenly, yeah. drink. I have made that mistake a couple of times. Never, <laughs> never. But this is the kind, I mean, you are famous for this cocktail. Am I? Yeah, when we no. go somewhere, like we go to our cousins in the, you know, the holidays as well, it'll yeah. be like Pools, Margarita, his Clementine. Well, we call Margarita. it Macarita. Macarita. Oh, oh Macarita, come on. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah. I love um, it. Paul doesn't kid around. I, I made one up. I tried it. That's Thank a you. serious drink. <laughs> Why would you mess with anything less? <laughs> the other thing that came out of that series is Dave Grohl making his veggie lasagna. Dave Grohl in the kitchen, <laughs> actually sort of making up this dish. <laughs> Much like you, he's preparing things while his son is running around and trying to tell him things. Right. Okay, February was the 50th anniversary of Wayne's Wildlife. We got a new... Limited half-speed edition for those who indulge in such things. I didn't need the vinyl, so I didn't buy it. I was happy to play my deluxe edition, so that's, that's really nice. Nothing really new about that, but it's something else in the product category. And um, the McCartney thing is going to be a running deal through this year. You know, McCartney through the Wings era. Yes. The other thing that happened... At the beginning of February, end of January, was the theatrical run of the rooftop concert from Get Back. That's right. Basically, the rooftop section from part three. But the interesting thing about that is, first off, it was at the same time throughout the world. So so that was uh, kind of special. And then we also had Peter Jackson doing a live 30, 45-minute Q&A before, which was also beamed to all the theaters that were showing it. He didn't slip the uh, revolver thing at that point, did he? What he said was that he was working on something with Apple that was not a documentary. So there's still some question as to whether he meant revolver by that, but maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Right. And some people actually asked him, I think the one that came up was someone said, are you going to apply this technology to the Star Club tapes? And he kind of said, well... I don't know. If it's appropriate, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> Who's financing this? <laughs> that was the other thing which came out of that interview. This was really the first time we got Peter Jackson saying, you know, I really want to go and put out a super deluxe version of this film, but Disney, they don't really want to do it. They don't really believe in it. Go ahead and write them. So <laughs> Right. Now, at that point in time, the Blu-ray was scheduled for a late February release. It came out, but the discs were nominally defective. Yes. They recalled all of them. And they have continued to be recalled. <laughs> they did finally do a wide release much later in the year, but even then, the number of available discs seems to be relatively small. People go out and looking for them. They are constantly in a state of in and out of stock. Right. From all accounts, Disney was disappointed in the sales, but I don't know whether that's actually the truth. You're putting out something that people are already getting from their streaming service in better quality. Because what's playing over Disney is nominally 4K, and this was not a 4K release on the Blu-ray. That's maximum Blu-ray HD resolution, so... Well, you know, the history of Beatle fandom should indicate that these projects will be profitable. The whole dragging in your feet thing it confuses me. You know, why not put out a bigger cut of Get Back? Director wants to. As much as you, as you want, at whatever price you want, and it will sell. <laughs> right. Why Disney does not take that message is like, well, wait a minute, this guy can sell... 15 different copies in 15 different colors of his latest album. Why don't we do something like that? There is a philosophy where it's, it's got to be big or it's not worth doing. And, you know, maybe at this point, the Beatles sell well, just not phenomenally. And they want a phenomenon. I mean, it's, it's kind of the same way with movies these days. You know, the big blockbusters is what studios put their money into. But, I would think you'd make a decent profit. 
with Beatles. Apple's main concern will remain the re-releases for the time being. Uh, you know, everything else is kind of tangential to that. If they come up on a hit, great. But I don't think they really want to spend the time and effort, which is to a certain extent why they left it to Disney. Had they gone with a different distributor, maybe we would have gotten at least some bonus features on there. And for that matter, they've been promising that we'll get the original Let It Be plus bonus features on that. No hiding or hair of that release. Or a whisper. Nothing. Disappeared back into the ether. The other thing that happened in February was we got the announcement of Paul's tour. We kind of got Taylor Swifted on the tickets to to Paul's <laughs> summer tour. It was a sign of things to come. It wasn't quite as bad as the... Uh, although, you know, maybe we should join in their class action suit on Ticketmaster and, <laughs> and how they sell tickets. It was pretty much nonsense. It's the same nonsense that people were talking about. You're waiting in line and you have thousands of people in front of you and then you get in and tickets appear and disappear. Nobody was happy with the way Ticketmaster handled the sales for the McCartney tour in February. Yeah, I don't know how that's going to shake out, but there are suits involved. Should we get another tour from McCartney? Hopefully they will find a better way to handle it, but... As we get to it, we'll have that discussion during the summer here. <laughs> March, we got The Beatles in India, the DVD release of the film, which we did a show on a while back. When George and we got connected, it was like wildfire, you know. Paul phoned George and said, there's this man called Maharishi who's going to come to talk about meditation. <laughs> Maharishi was the most powerful, magnetically charismatic person I've ever met. Their manager, their best friend, was now gone. He was found in his second floor bedroom just after two o'clock this afternoon. For that moment in time, Maharishi replaced Brian. The Beatles were coming to stay with the Maharishi. The whole world and its media is going to be here. The huge crowd assembled here outside, looking the new face of the English people, like the big hairs and all that. It was a craze. They had descended in our part of the country and they had embraced the spiritual narrative of India. We felt, look, they are one of us. Really, some trip—the biggest trip I've ever had in my life. You know, interesting film. It's from a very different perspective. Right. There was a lot of it I didn't know or had never seen. Probably the most interesting bit was towards the very end. You know, we're, we're used to seeing Western artists come in and talk about, "Oh, here's the first time, and here's what I learned about the Beatles." when this happened, to see that same thing from the Indian perspective right. was a little bit eye-opening. Yeah. Yeah, the Beatles are big in India. Not just because of George Harrison, but according to the film, they were sort of adopted as second sons. So, I mean, you know, granted, they had homes everywhere. So it's England, it's America, and then it's India, huh? India, yeah. That has finally hit streaming. There's also a book which the film is based on by the same fellow who put together the Beatles in India. Uh, Joey Bose has made his directorial debut with the documentary film The Beatles in and India. The other thing that came out in March was Mike McCartney's early Liverpool book. Early now it's Liverpool, a Genesis book, yeah. so it's, it's very expensive. But <laughs> <laughs> we got lots and lots of early Beatles photos that have never been released before. I mean, Mark, Mike's the guy that was there. Yeah, who, who knew that there was uh, photographs still after all these years? It's probably about the fourth collection. Mike's put out at least three collections, but the others were all meant as conventional mass market paperback books. And so, you know, he's doing this for the collector's market. So, he can pull out the other color photo from the first time that John, Paul, and George were photographed together in color with Dennis Littler, who, as we just mentioned recently, passed away. 
Right. If you have the money, that's one of the better Genesis books. We move on to the summer months. Paul was on the road with the Got Back tour. There were 16 shows between uh, April the 28th and June the 16th. Thank you. Getting better all the time. I know you didn't get to see it, but, you know, Paul sounded pretty good, or at least as good as we can expect him to be. Most people agree that he did sound better than he did a couple years back, whether it was the rest from the COVID years or something else. He put some extra added energy into this tour, I think. I would think that he would think this was his last tour. Well, um, you know, that's the question. He also announced the Glastonbury show, and then he did the Glastonbury show after his run in the U.S. If he's going out, that's certainly a way to go out. The British media was all very much, oh, this is the best Paul McCartney show ever, or at least ever since the wings over. Of course, they're not us. They don't sit there and regularly watch. They probably haven't seen any one complete show since a rock show. <laughs> one thing he did in preparation for Glastonbury, the day before, he went and did a small show at From, which is a site just off of Glastonbury where a lot of people go. It's a couple hundred capacity, and so it's the usual sort of line out the door, don't tell anybody, gee, it's happening, and then, then there's the big rush. Uh, from all accounts, that was also a pretty amazing show. Good evening, Froome. Why am I getting a feeling we're going to have some fun in here tonight? As a secret gig, that's a pretty big one. 
there's certainly some hints that this might be the last tour. One of the logos that he used shows Paul walking off into the sunset with his back turned to us and he's walking away. And it's like, is that saying what it might be saying? Or is he just unsure? Ringo is touring at 82. Granted, Ringo doesn't do as much on his tours as Paul does on his. You know, Bruce is going back out on the road. Bruce is starting to look a little bit worn out by the touring regime. Yeah. And he is the ultimate road warrior. Well, there's got to come a time. I honestly don't think Paul will ever completely stop performing. He will find a way to do shows here and there. The question is really whether this is going to be the end of the big tours. I kind of think he might do one more Europe run. That This may be the last time he's coming through the States. If he feels like doing it, he should do it. But I don't know how long he can keep going. Well, it's the same thing we've been saying. The tickets will sell. Right. He will be able to break Ticketmaster just as well as Taylor Swift can. <laughs> yeah. Lauren Michaels was on the Dana Carvey podcast, and he kind of sort of said that, oh, he was at Paul's last U.S. show. So, I mean, does that mean anything? Who knows? I mean, Lauren's getting up there as well. Everybody is. <laughs> he may very well have just misspoke, but... Uh, Still, ultimately, Paul is a performer. I just can't see him stop performing. It's the balance between what kind of stage does he need to get and what is the minimum number of shows that he can do to make back his money as a stage performer. Or is he just going to go and show up unannounced? Do you have any idea how many people work for MPL? MPL, the company, is probably in the hundreds. I mean, it's MPL, and then it's also you have the whole touring company that he goes off and hires to do the whole road show with him. Right. It has to be an interesting, I don't know whether you call it pressure or not, but when you are the product of the company, do you stop at some point? The thing is, even when Paul stops, he's not going to stop completely because he has product, which will continue to go out. Yeah. I mean, as we know, he certainly has all sorts of unreleased stuff. And it's entirely possible that the three imagine thing is one of the things he's thinking about doing. He's always liked to write for other people. True. If he can't perform completely, he can always sort of put together a show like that, get other people to do it. He will dive in and out during the show as right. suits him. He could do a TV documentary. Or a variety show. <laughs> He's got several documentaries which have not gone out yet. He had a crew following him for 2017 to 2019. You know, through the Egypt Station, through the live shows, through his return to the cavern. And all of that footage is out there. But apparently the film that was supposed to come from it has kind of been put into the vault. He has no qualms. Unlike the Beatles, who pretty much tried to release everything they considered releasable, McCartney would just throw things into the vault. It's like, oh, well, you know, sooner or later, I'll come back to this. Right. Whatever that is worth. So on to Ringo and his tour, the slightly cursed tour. <laughs> yeah. It's a rough world out there health-wise. I mean, the first time it wasn't Ringo that got sick, it was band members that got sick. And he tried to move on with just one, but then one became two. And he couldn't do the show with two band members being sick. He had originally planned to have two month-long runs. He did about two weeks, and then the band got sick. Fortunately, they got sick in New York City. So, I mean, they, it wasn't that hard for them to find, to call it all off there. So what they did was they then added the two weeks to the beginning of the fall run, which we'll get to shortly here. There was another book which came out in the month of June, Lennon, the Mobster and the Lawyer by Jay Bergen. Jay Bergen was John's lawyer for the Morris Levy case. Right. The Roots album. And the Roots album and, and all of that. The lawsuit and the response to the lawsuit had always been a little bit of a black hole, to me at least. Right. You get all of those things filled out, 
and he has provided actual court transcripts. Even though it's certainly filtered, you get a look at what John Lennon was actually like. It takes a, a long time to make close friends, and right. I don't really have I don't really have many of them. But John and I got along very well. I, I think primarily because once I got over the uh, the uh, surprise of John Lennon walking into the room, and I was a big rock and roll fan from my my uh, high school days, and uh, loved the Beatles. I saw the Beatles at Forest Hills uh, Tennis Stadium in 1964. Uh, he was he was just a client, and that's the way I treated him. I didn't ask for an autograph. I didn't ask for any of those that photo at Sloppy Louis. I didn't even know he was going to have a copy made and sent to me. I didn't know why he even had it taken. Right, another view of him dealing with lawyers. Uh, Levy's lawyer tried to get him to uh, say that he and Morris were close friends, and John has this. I think I quoted it in the book. John has this little segment where he said, well, you know, I, I looked upon him more as a character uh, because Morris talks like this. He said he had polyps, thought he had polyps in his throat. And there's one story that I want to mention from there. The judge asked them to you know, bring in some samples of albums and talk about some of the work that's on them. Levy's attorney bought in two virgins and he made sure that the jury saw the naked cover. <laughs> look at this degenerate rock musician and that was in fact part of what caused them to change judges and run it without a jury so it just became a, a judge listening to all the arguments from both lawyers and then making his decision morris was not a good guy right what was it that 1973 that would be a little bit later that would really? be right before Sean was born. The incident was like 73, 74. And then the lawsuit was actually at the same time that John was in court for his immigration stuff. So John was running back and forth from one courtroom to the other. Why did he have no time to make music? Well, he was busy dealing with legal things on one end or the other. Mr. Levy, federal authorities were describing you yesterday as the godfather of the American music business, the connection between the mob and the music business. What do you say to that? There is no connection between the mob and the music business. At all? I don't believe so. You were indicted yesterday on three of the 117 counts. The indictment says essentially that you and a New Jersey mafia figure, Corky Vastola, uh, arranged to have somebody beat up because they owed more than a million dollars to the big record company, MCA. What about these charges? They're not true. Yeah, Morris Levy and Alan Klein were kind of kept from the same cloth. Possibly. Alan Klein was kind of Donald Trump. Morris <laughs> Levy was actually more or less a gangster. I think Alan Klein pulled gangster stuff. Do you think that Alan Klein ever actually sent people out to uh, to rough up other folks? I mean, it's possible. No. I don't, I don't really think that. But I guess I'm talking from an ethical standpoint, not necessarily a penchant for violence. Neither one of them could be called even moderately good people. Right. But right. Morris was more straight into the money laundering gangster end of things. Although Alan Klein had no issues with money laundering as well. Yeah. And, you know, he was selling copies out the back door. Copies of the concert for Bangladesh. <laughs> right. It's not just stealing money from George Harrison. It's stealing money from the starving in Bangladesh. Yeah. But there's a reason that they based a character in The Sopranos off of Morris. We move on from there. The first eight or nine months, other than the two tours, things were relatively quiet, but things were picked up toward the end of the year. You know, the last three or four months, we've had relatively a lot of stuff come out. Yes. September the 9th, we had Julian Lennon's album, Jude. I did listen to it again fairly recently, about two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's grown on me slightly, but it's still not a good record. I like the record on the whole. Did you? If you go back and listen to what we said at the time, my thought was that there just wasn't nearly enough life in the recordings. Right. 
that far too much of it is mid-tempo and below, and you don't really get the spirit or the emotion out of the way Julian's doing the performances. I think I felt that there were a couple of songs where he was trying to kind of do something different, and it seemed authentic. You're right that there's no hit single on it or anything that you would call a rocker. Some of the backing even sounds kind of ambient, but I liked it as a whole. It doesn't compel me to listen to it often. And the other release we got in September was we got the third of Ringo's EPs. Now, of course, Ringo told us that he put the three EPs together into a full release. That hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and he's missed Christmas. (laughs) We'll see whether that happens or not. actually a rumor that Ringo is working on a Ringo Ringo the album box set Uh, and that's more than just Ringo talking about it some people have confirmed that there is work going on on something historical it's a 50 box for Ringo the album and apparently it's another one of those gee this is going to have to sell if you want any more archival Ringo releases (laughs) or else we'll never get Goodnight Vienna Although, for Record Store Day, they did release Old Wave on both vinyl and CD. The CD was far more limited than it needed to be. If you're on the lookout for that, it's out there now. The colored vinyl is actually much easier to find than the CD. So, what happened in September beyond those two? Well, Ringo was going to pick back up his road show. He added the dates that he had missed in the summer to the beginning of September, and so they went out. They got close to a full month. They did get to finish all the dates from the first run that they had missed, and they had started into the second run, and, well, Ringo got it. Yeah, so the whole tour in October. And, And not only did Ringo get it, he got it. He went through the waiting period. He tested negative. He was gonna go out on the road, and then he got a rebound case. So that basically shut down the last two weeks of Ringo's tour. Right. And whether those dates are going to be rescheduled or not, we have not been told. Well, not, not as yet. So The Ringo dates we knew about before the end of last year, the Paul dates we didn't hear about until February. So we still got another month or so to keep our fingers crossed on whether McCartney's going out on any kind of road trip this year. Ringo has always tried to keep his tour dates known a year ahead because I guess he feels that he needs that lead time for people to go out and find out that the show is happening and buy tickets. Right. Makes sense. He doesn't have the kind of promotion behind him that McCartney does. Yeah. There were 20 dates from the beginning of October, October 1st to the 20th that Ringo canceled. But what else happened in the month of October? At the end of October, we got the revolver box. Yeah, this is where the the orchestra swells and trumpets blare. It was the big thing. Still is in my house. It was introduced by Ringo showing off the box with his feet. (laughs) Ah, yes, the famous foot promotion. The peace and love sandals. (laughs) Still don't know why you're doing it. And he's kept doing it. And he, in fact, put it into his videos for the EP3 that he has made. It's You're on the high side of 80. You can do whatever you want, but we really don't need to see your feet that much, Ringo. Maybe he's leading to something. Wouldn't he have gotten there by now? Maybe he has a new shoe line coming out. He did have... Skechers as a sponsor for a while. They actually sponsored the tour one year, and then he even did a commercial for them. Right. Well, 
At least you got the shoes right, brother. Relax fit shoes from Sketches. Rock out in comfort. So we've, we've had the revolver box now for a couple months. Do we have anything more that we want to say about it other than it was as good as we could have hoped, I think? And it had some real surprises in it. The Giles remix remains amongst my favorites, if not my very favorite of the ones he's done so far. He, he is definitely learning better how to use the tapes. And I think the access to Peter Jackson's technology makes it easier for him to put together the remixes. Yeah. This leads me to ask, based on something you said earlier, so what would be your preference? What's going to be the next one? Would you prefer Rubber Soul, or would you prefer Please Please Me? I think I'd prefer Rubber Soul just because I want the time for the technology to evolve even further before we hit back on the first four, you know, and hard days night is still not going to be as difficult as please, please me is going to be to separate all the elements. Two track is different than four track. I can see that it's going to take every bit of the next four or five years to bring the technology up to speed to be able to, if not perfectly, at least perfectly enough for doing a good remix on Please Please Me. Right. Because if they do it now, they may well end up doing the first four again. You know, they, they jump to Please okay. Please Me now. They do the first four. They do kind of a halfway, well, here's as good as we can do. You know, I could almost see them, okay, then, then we get to help in Rubber Soul after Rubber Soul. Oops, well, we can do that better now. <laughs> yeah well you know particularly those two albums help and rubber soul the songs you'd get from it would so much benefit from this treatment norwegian wood or well yesterday for that matter yesterday absolutely nowhere man even a basic rocker like i'm down if you could pull the organ out completely So now you're planning the demo discs. 
<laughs> well, I mean, if there's one thing I have to say about what they didn't give us in the revolver box is I would have liked more of the isolations. Yeah, that would have been nice. Or an acapella here, there, and everywhere. But to love her is to need her everywhere. Knowing that love is to share. Each one believing that love never dies. Watching their eyes and hoping I'm always there. I want her Giles has his little demo reel of how he pulled apart Taxman. I would have liked to have actually had that on the disc, at least bits and pieces of it, so we can hear, oh, here's kind of what this sounds like just by itself. Yeah. As we have complained about many, many times, there's one song which is not represented on the Revolver demo outtakes disc. Yeah, well... Good day, sunshine. Leaving that off. That's got some really cool harmonies on it. Be nice to hear those in an isolation kind of thing. I mean, just to have the song on your demo reel, that would be good to hear. John has kind of done it the right way with the evolution mixes. We don't need the whole album as evolution mixes, but certainly some of the songs, which will give us an idea of what each of the individual pieces sound like. Well, some of the background stuff, you know, I was thinking it would be great to hear isolated vocals for Michelle. You know. For sure. McCartney's vocals on that song in particular, it's not different, but he, he's using the effect on his voice very well. Yeah. Okay. So we've got Rubber Soul kind of planned. Michelle, my bell, Sunday And I will say the only words I know that you'll understand, my Michelle. And help kind of planned. I mean, it more or less naturally falls off of Rubber Soul. Yeah. And some of the songs on there, I mean, Tickets a Ride, that would be great in that kind of mix that Giles does. The drum track, the... The guitar riff, it's just, yes, that. We'll see what happens, but I guess the other question, is there going to be one next year? I would guess there is. I mean, they kind of want to keep this train going. Yeah. This time around, they were much better about keeping it secret until they wanted people to know about it. Because, I mean, we didn't even really know about it until, like, midsummer. We started getting some interviews from Giles uh, and in fact, Sam O'Kell in an interview, like in June or July, said that they were already working from the middle and would be going backwards. So, I mean, that implies that they'll be doing Rubber Soul next. But one thing we know about the Beatles, their plans change on a dime. <laughs> right. In November for Record Store Day, we actually got video and audio of the 2019 All-Star Band Tour. That's nice. If you're looking for what the current version of the All-Stars are like and you haven't managed to get out to see them, this is a good representation. And it ends with Joe Walsh coming on stage and you know uh, all the friends. It was the big end of the tour show from 2019. Right. I think it's the whole show. Yeah. And then, as mentioned, we got a couple of extra discs. We got the best of Dark Horse. Danny is in the process of resurrecting Dark Horse records to some extent. They put out a record with the best of the original Dark Horse label. Oh, and we got all of the original Dark Horse albums out on streaming. That was a pretty big thing this year. Right. Most Predominantly, we get Splinter, which the first Splinter album is the Lost George Harrison album, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's a great, great album. And George's guitar work on that album is just terrific. The highlights of the label are nice to have collected in one place. And it's a really nice looking disc. That's one of the Record Store Day discs that I did pick up was the LP version of Best of Dark Horse. Not to be confused with George Harrison's Best of Dark Horse. That then moves us to December. The current month, as we speak, 
at the front of the month, we got another surprise announcement. We got the singles box from Paul McCartney. Right. Every single he ever put out. Except it isn't. (laughs) Off the ground is not in the box. (laughs) Yeah. 80 singles from around the world. And it was $600. It was too expensive for most of us. But I have listened to pretty much everything through the streaming services and they do sound marvelous well there's that yeah it it was a little expensive for me good on mccartney we can at least listen to it and we get remasters of a lot of the london town and back to the egg stuff so does that mean that those boxes are coming i'm a little bit surprised we didn't get those two as archival editions this year yeah. These solo archival releases were kind of thin. The big rumor at the end of last year was both that Sometime in New York City and Concert for Bangladesh would be coming out as super deluxe editions this year, and neither of those happened. Are we just going to walk past uh, Sometime in New York City? We, we can get into that story at least a little bit. From what we've been able to piece together, the remix is done for the album and Sean had presented it to the label and the label had some concerns with the opening track on sometime in New York city. They went back and forth and the Lennon estate. I mean, Sean had actually gone out in 2021 and said, yes, sometime in New York city is coming out next year. And in fact, we got a remix of Angela on the Lennon collection that came out a couple years back so the remix is done but the standoff between the label and the Lennon estate on how they will handle the remix seems to be ongoing right we've heard a couple times that they've settled it and it was coming there was a big rumor for a while that it would be out for john's birthday but well that didn't happen that didn't happen yeah where it stands Assuming that the rumor mill is anywhere near correct is that the label is trying to put it out as a Lennon live box and they'll throw the one-to-one concert on there and they'll throw live piece in Toronto on there and kind of make that the selling point because I mean, yes, sometime in New York city is at least partially a live album. Yeah. That's what the second disc is. Right. And we should also mention that what did come out is Zappa's version of the Johnny Yoko stage appearance. So if you go and you look at the Zappa side of things, he has put out his version of the second disc from sometime in New York City. So it's out there legally now. It's mixed completely differently. And obviously it's a Zappa product rather than a Lennon product. Right. But it is out there. We've had this conversation on any number of uh, times. Uh, do we have anything more we want to say on it other than boo to the record company? <laughs> Get your act together. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. Then finishing up the year, we're getting ready to do a nice show on uh, Alan Cozen, well-known Beatles author, Uh, an actual reporter who's interviewed Paul McCartney on any number of occasions, and Adrian Sinclair have put out a book called McCartney Legacy, uh, 700-plus pages on 1969 to 1973-1974. He hopes for this to be the first of a four- or five-volume series, which will cover all the way up to more or less the present day. Right. It's in-depth. We've been working our way through it without spoiling too much. There is as much detail as you might imagine. It's kind of divided into two parts in as much as he does a bunch of biography and then they go into here's what was recorded on this day. Right. That was fun. I like that. Starting from McCartney through Ram, through Wildlife, through Red Rose Speedway, in the band on the run, you actually get to see what Paul was doing. Now, their reasoning for 
including the biographical stuff, because originally this was just going to be the equivalent of Lewis's recording sessions. But what Alan says is that you can't tell the story of Paul's music without telling the story of Paul's life. And I, I think I more or less agree with that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly at that period in time, as he was really solidifying his relationship with Linda and he was learning how to be a band leader because, you know, post McCartney, he really had no idea how to lead a band. I mean, of course, despite John Lennon being the one who put them together, John wasn't ever really the leader of the band. He was the leader of the band in as much as everyone looked up to him. That was a big influence. But John wasn't one who made all the decisions. Yeah. Costello once talked about McCartney, and he kind of made the point of after the Beatles, Paul was kind of trying not to sound like the Beatles. And since the Beatles was, I mean, he was one of them, it took a lot of skill and probably experimentation to not sound like yourself or your natural thing. I just think that's a fascinating take on it, that he was also doing that. And the idea of getting Linda to sing, and you know, even though she wasn't a great singer, that became the unique thing about Wings. Yes. There was a definite sound that she contributed to. You know, it was the harmonies. It was the Paul Linda and Denny harmonies, which is really why you can call Wings the same band from, you know, 1971 through 1980. Yes. The guitar player changed, the drummer changed, but there were always those three, and those harmonies were on, in one form or another, on most of those records. Most of the albums, yeah. We are in the process of getting Alan Cozen to appear on the show with us will we're looking forward to talking to him about the mccartney legacy this i think is going to qualify as especially if they manage to get it done again fingers crossed the definitive work on mccartney right i would agree with that and you know it makes you realize both how much you know and how much you don't know (laughs) well i've been you know going through it and and I've learned a lot. It's it's a pretty good book. That was 2022. We said it was kind of a slow year, but we, we still managed to get our hour out of it. <laughs> right. We uh, welcome any comments. And I will say, as you folks are downloading this, we are going to pass 500,000 downloads for this podcast since the very beginning. Wow. That's kind of an amazing number. It is. Congratulations, Ed. Well, you've been around for at least a quarter of them, I would say, because uh, uh, the numbers went up when uh, you joined. Huh. Well, I have a big family. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, lots, lots <laughs> of Voices fans out there. There you go. <laughs> There's got to be a reason. All right. So we will be back next week and we look forward to lots more Beatles stuff in 2023. Yes. We got stuff coming. Talk to y'all then. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California. Peace and love, peace and love. Yes, it's Ringo. Updating again. First of all, just to wish you Happy New Year. I had a great time. I hope you did too. So far, the year's going really good for me. And I'm in L.A., of course.
Was it close? Yeah. <laughs> it was. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? So, having a great life, and I hope you are too. And I send you peace and love. Peace and love. Peace and love. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again.